Welcome to Mom and Up. With your co-host, developmental psychologist, Dr. Marty Erickson, and Dr. Aaron Erickson, maternal child health specialist and nurse practitioner. Here's my grandma, Marty. And here's Aaron, my mom and mom. Welcome to Mom Enough. I'm Marty Erickson here with my daughter, Erin Erickson, and we are starting today a three-part series that I think is going to be of great interest to all you parents out there. We're going to be talking about parental mental health and child mental health and the intersection of the two. This is a a sponsored three-part series done with St. David's Center for Child and Family Development. They're a longtime supporting partner of Mom Enough and an organization that I've had a a very close relationship with for more years than I can count. And our first guest in this series is Melissa Williams. We've had Melissa on Mom Enough a number of times, and she's just a perfect person, I think, to kick off this three-part series. Melissa is a licensed independent clinical social worker who joined St. David's Center full-time in 2009 and is currently Family Place Program Director at the Harmon Center for Child and Family Well-Being in downtown Minneapolis. Melissa brings to her work a passion for partnering with caregivers and their children to establish strong attachments during the most formative years in a child's development, and she's seen many children and families shift their development pathways as a result of the early intervention that she and her colleagues at St. David's deliver. So welcome, Melissa, and thank you so much for being our kickoff guest with this series. Thanks for having me. You're going to lay the foundation by talking broadly about what mental health is, um, what mental illness is, and sort of the basics that we all should understand as we dig more deeply into how parental mental health and child mental health um, intersect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Melissa, it's wonderful to see you again. You always are a wealth of wisdom, and so we just so appreciate uh everything you bring to our podcast. So let's start with just a really basic introductory question. What is mental health? What do we mean by that? Yeah. So taking a step back, when we think about health, most of us are going to reflect on our physical health. And yet physical and mental health are equally important components of our overall health. There is no health without mental health. And so what is mental health? Mental health is, it includes our psychological, emotional, and social well-being. It impacts how we think, feel, and act. And so let's say that each of us had a collage of pictures depicting our life, okay? If I looked at your collage and you looked at my collage, we would notice that our experiences look different. And yet, there's going to be components that are similar. We're all going to have experienced challenges, stress, difficult moments, happy moments, surprising moments. So all of those are part of our experiences, even though our experiences are different. And so part of our mental health is how are we going to navigate those experiences? And for many of us, it's going to look different. And so being mentally healthy enables us to navigate the ups, the downs, and unexpected moments in life. It also helps us determine how we're going to handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. 
And I would like to note that it's important at every stage of life. This isn't just about adulthood, right? It spans throughout our life, starting from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. So, Melissa, that's a great definition of what mental health is. And I, I think sometimes we hear the phrase mental health and we immediately think mental illness. So I, I just really appreciate how you emphasize the, the coping elements of mental health and how, as you say, we have no health without mental health. Um, so that's a, a great uh, kind of slogan in a way to remember. Um, can you talk a little bit about how mental health relates to child development, because we know children are changing all the time, growing all the time, and, uh, you know, lots of things that um, may be hard to tease out in terms of what's mentally healthy and what's not, and so on. But how did those things really relate to each other? Yeah, so I'm going to, I'll talk about child development and attachment. So child development refers to how your child grows and changes over time. And experts often divide this into four different areas. Physical development refers to your strength and motor skills. Cognitive development involves thinking and problem solving. Language development refers to communication and understanding. And then social emotional development impacts how we interact with others and process our feelings. And then those child development then is further divided into developmental milestones. Most of us uh, are are familiar with developmental milestones, but these are behaviors that mark stages of typical growth. And we know that all children are gonna develop at their own pace, but most children pass through specific changes at approximately the same time as they get older. And so that's development, but underneath and at the heart of development is attachment, okay? Our first experience with attachment is with our caregiver. And so this attachment essentially sets the stage or provides a template for future relationships. And so what is attachment? Attachment is this emotional bond that forms between an infant and caregiver. And infants and caregivers were biologically programmed for close connection. In fact, if we were looking at the most primitive part of our brain, our brainstem, Some people refer to it as your animal brain or your reptilian brain, but this part of the brain is already online and active when we're born. And it's responsible for all things that a newborn can do. So think about what newborns can do. They can eat, sleep, wake, cry, breathe. They have the capacity to feel temperature, uh, wetness and pain. They are able to rid themselves of toxins. And so, With this in mind, infants are endowed with a set of built-in attachment behaviors. Why? The most important job of the brain is to ensure our survival. And so the purpose of these behaviors is to keep a mother close in proximity to the infant to increase the infant's chance of surviving by meeting their basic needs. And so this is how the attachment starts. And then this attachment relationship becomes an engine of subsequent social, emotional, and cognitive development. So being mentally healthy during childhood includes reaching these developmental milestones, learning healthy social skills, and then how to cope when there are problems. 
And it's all done in the context of this attachment relationship. Well, that was such a helpful uh, overview of all the interconnectedness of these uh, various factors. And I can really see how, you know, that that child, you know, is is so competent in so many ways, even at, at birth, you know, all the things their bodies are doing, the, the, their sensory awareness, and how they can communicate their needs through their tears. And um, what is, as we kind of put that together with with this mental health piece, and we think about kind of the trajectory of development, what is one of the most important aspects of mental health? Yeah. One of my colleagues recently gave me a mug. And on the outside of the mug, it says, you are good for my mental health. And if you look in the inside of the mug, it says, we're all the same on the inside. And so you might be asking, why am I telling you about my mug? Um, when I think about the mug, the inside message of we're all the same on the inside really makes me think about we're all wired for connection. We're all programmed for relationship. And then the outside message of you are good for my mental health is talking about safe connections or secure attachment. And so being able to experience safety in relationships with other people is one of the most important aspects of mental health. Safe connections then are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. And when these connections are safe and secure, then our mental health is positively impacted. Melissa, you are so good at this, just kind of breaking these things down and, and bringing them to life. And I just love that your um, colleague or friend gave you that mug because that's a beautiful thing to hold in our own minds as we really think about both the complexity and the simplicity of attachment and how foundational that is to mental health. Now, that, of course, attachment is all about relationship. And we know that parents and children, parents and babies, are just integrally connected in a million ways. But can you talk a little bit about how the mental health of a parent and a child are connected? Yeah. So again, a child's healthy development depends on our on the parent, okay? And as parents, when we're mentally healthy, not only are we able to navigate and respond to our own stressors, engage in meaningful relationships, and make healthy choices, but we're able to do the following for our children. So protect, regulate, and model. What do I mean by that? Protect. Um, again, a secure attachment ensures that your child feels safe, loved, and understood throughout development. Strong and secure attachments then to a parent provides buffering protection from the impact of stressors in a child's life. Regulate. Kids learn how to self-regulate by experiencing the interactive process of regulatory support that occurs again within the context of the attachment relationship. Model. How are we a model? Children, as you know, pay more attention to what we do than sometimes what we say. And so we are their models for how to manage their emotions, respond to stressors, and interact with others. And so that's one way that they're connected, but the mental health of parents and children can be connected in other ways. So another example would be if a parent, 
parent might be struggling with their own mental health challenges. Maybe they have symptoms of depression or anxiety, and that might make it more difficult to provide the care that they want to for their child. Another example might be um, caring for children can create challenges for parents. And if we lack resources or support, then that can also have a negative impact on a parent's mental health. And then sometimes parents and children also have, uh, they experience shared risks. So they might inherit uh, vulnerabilities. Um, it could be living in um, unsafe environments and facing discrimination or deprivation. So these are all ways in which the mental health of a parent and child are actually connected. Well, that is, uh, again, a really helpful explanation of that connection. And I, I know even as a mom of teenagers that when I've had a really stressful day or haven't had enough sleep, you know, maybe things that, that I would typically be able to really stay self-regulated around or feel calm about, um, I feel less so. Like I maybe, you know, say something I, I didn't mean or, or kind of use a tone of voice that's not productive. And I, I think this this can really happen across the lifespan of our relationship with our children. Now, you talked a bit about, you know, anxiety, depression, and the effect that can have on this as, and, you know, stress can even be a part of that too. Uh, but let's dial in a bit more on what we mean when, when people say mental illness or mental health disorder. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah. Mental illness is a term used to describe a wide range of mental health conditions that impact your mood, thinking, and behavior. And these disorders, they might interfere with a person's ability to relate to others or function on a daily basis. I think about the book, The Body Keeps Score, where Dr. Bessel van der Kolk talks about that all mental suffering involves either trouble in creating workable and satisfying relationships or difficulties in regulating arousal. And oftentimes it's a combination of both. So again, it's been what we're talking about, right? It's impacting the relationship and the ability to self-regulate. And many people are, many people have mental health concerns from time to time. So that's normal. Uh, but a mental health concern becomes a mental illness when ongoing signs and symptoms can cause frequent stress or impact your daily functioning. Mental illnesses are different for everyone, and they do not discriminate. So what I mean by that is it can impact anyone regardless of your gender, your age, intelligence, geography, social status, race, ethnicity, religion or spirituality, or any other aspect of cultural identity. And these illnesses... Uh, include different conditions that vary in the degree of severity. So they can range from mild to moderate to severe. So let me give you a few examples of mental illness. So mood disorders, those are disorders that impact an uh, individual's mood. Anxiety disorders, um, excessive fears or anxieties or worries. Personality disorders. These are a type of mental illness in which a person often has difficulty perceiving and relating to situations and to people. Psychotic disorders, um, it's a distorted awareness 
and thinking. So schizophrenia might be an example of that. Eating disorders. So sometimes there that involves extreme emotions, attitudes, and behaviors involving weight and food. Impulse um, control and addiction or disorders. Those are disorders in which individuals have a difficult time controlling behaviors or impulses. Another one would be obsessive compulsive disorder. So this is constant fears or thoughts that cause a person to perform certain rituals or routines. And then post-traumatic stress disorder. That's a condition following a traumatic or um, terrifying event or events. And so when we think about this, those are just a handful of examples, but how common is mental illness? Mental illness impacts one in five adults in the U.S. um, each year. It impacts one in 20 adults in the U.S. Um, They're going to experience a serious mental illness. One in six youth aged six to 17 will experience a mental health illness or disorder each year. And then 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by the age of 14 and 75% by the age of 24. So when we think about this, mental illnesses are common here in the United States. Wow. And I know they're common all over the world, too, having done a lot of international work and worked with people like you, um, Mel, who are working in similar kinds of programs. um, I'm always struck with how similar uh, things are with regard to both mental health and mental illness, uh, no matter what culture or geography um, is is my, my present place. And so I think this is really a global topic that um, just needs to be looked at. And I do see differences around the world in terms of how people are willing to look at those things. And um, I think it's great that we're talking about this here and that you're bringing your wealth of wisdom and knowledge and experience to this, because if we don't talk about it, we're not going to be able to cope with it, with the fact of, of that incidence and what we can do about it at different points in development. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the impact of uh, mental illness on an adult, a child, on the family, on the community? Uh, those are lots of different layers, but I think that's the reality of mental illness is that it, that it really does have a widespread effect, and that's where we have to really understand how to deal with it. Yeah. So imagine we're standing near a pond or a body of water, and let's say we take a pebble or small rock and we drop it into the water. Well, we, we can all make guesses as to what's going to happen, right? It's going to be this ripple effect. In other words, it's going to create a series of ripples that spread out from that center, so where that pebble drops, and it's going to impact the surface of the water in increasingly wider circles. And so one seemingly small situation can have a larger or more significant impact. So in the same way, we can think about mental illness as having a ripple effect. Not only can mental illness make it challenging for us every day, but it can also start, those challenges can start rippling out through our families, our communities, and the world at large. And so let me, I'm going to tell you a story that hopefully will bring all this together, okay? 
So years ago, I had the privilege of sitting uh, with a mom. I worked with her for a period of time. She was a single mom of two boys. And one day she came into my office and she she appeared really sad. I hadn't seen her in that state before. And she quietly sat down and I asked her, I said, well, you look really sad today. How are you doing? And she paused for a moment and she was quiet. And then she said, there's a storm inside of me. And I said, can you tell me about that storm? What is, what's it like? And so she thought for a moment and then she said, sometimes it simmers and sometimes it grows and sometimes it's chaotic and unpredictable. And sometimes I feel scared. And so I asked, where do you think that storm came from? And she thought for a moment and she quietly said, I absorbed it. And I was a little bit surprised by her response. And so I asked, how, how did you absorb it? And she said, from my childhood. And so as we sat there together, she began telling me about her childhood in more detail. And we had talked about it in the past, but today she really unpacked it or that day she really unpacked it. This mom grew up in a poor community and in a home where the parental relationship was plagued with tension, abuse, and violence. And both of her parents struggled with untreated mental illness and the way in which they would uh, cope with it was through aggression and um, substance misuse. And so the storm within her parents became the storm within the home. And imagine what that's like for a child. I can just envision her being in, engulfed with this storm, right? And so as a young child, she was left to fend for herself. And we've had other conversations where we've talked about adverse childhood experiences. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, those are stressful or traumatic events that occur before the age of 18. And they often, they can include things like abuse, neglect, parental incarceration, domestic violence, household mental illness, household uh, substance misuse, and parental separation or divorce. They also can include things like chronic poverty or racism. So if we think about that in the context of this person's life and what she was describing, this mom had experienced multiple multiple adverse childhood experiences way before the age of 18, Argue, arguably before the age of seven. And what was striking was there was no buffering protection from her caregivers. And so what, what's the impact? The storm within her parents became the storm within her home, which then became the storm she absorbed within herself. And so on that day, when she's telling me all of this, I remember her stopping for a moment. And then she looked up at me and looked straight in my eyes. And she said, help me calm the storm. I don't, I want my kids to have a better experience. And so I often think about this 
experience. Um, what struck me about that day in our work together was first her capacity to articulate and put into words her experience and what had happened to her. And second was her courage to recognize the importance of healthy relationships. She didn't have that framework. Her relationships were unhealthy and unsafe, and yet she was willing to seek out secure attachment and regulating support, not only for herself, but also for her kids through treatment and through um, building this village. We worked on um, expanding that and creating more uh, safe relationships around her. And so her ability to do that was essentially her saying she's stopping the rippling effect of the storm that plagued her and her family for generations. And she was going to create this new ripple effect for her children and herself. That was just such an amazing story. I so appreciate uh, that you shared that. And I'm just really struck by that mom's ability to articulate her experience in that way. And it's such a perfect metaphor for the way that our um, childhood environment can stay with us and, and that kind of intergenerational cycle of mental health or violence or whatever that cycle is, that that can be just uh, an ongoing thing and, and how amazing for that mom to connect with you and to be able to both want to change and see that there's a change needed and to have the support to do that. So I'm thinking about a lot of parents who might be listening or who maybe um, are, know someone who might be struggling with mental illness what does a parent do if they're struggling with mental health challenges? Yeah, if you are struggling with mental health challenges, I need you to first remember that you are not your illness. Uh, diagnosing is a way of describing what's happening, not a way of defining who you are. So you are not defined by your diagnosis. You are not broken and you have not done anything wrong. Parenting with a mental health illness can leave you feeling a lot of different feelings. Uh, you might feel frustrated, alone, isolated, overwhelmed, or even out of touch with your own needs. And so it's really important that we recognize that taking care of our children often begins with taking care of ourselves. So what are some things that we can do? Engage in self-care. Now, I've had plenty of clients who say, oh, no, not another bath recommendation. No, I'm, when I'm talking about self-care, I'm not talking about go take a bath and have a nice long walk. If you like that, do that. But what I'm talking about is you can't pour from an empty cup. And so finding small ways each day to fill your cup is essential to your mental health. For a period of time, I was a single mom of two kids, and I was working a full-time job and a part-time job, and I remember feeling just kind of depleted at different times, and so part of my daily routine became I woke up five minutes earlier, I brewed a hot cup of coffee, and I sat, sat in complete silence. And so that was my sacred time. I didn't go through the list of all the things I had to do. Um, I just sat. 
And so I share that because self-care doesn't have to be these extravagant activities. They just need to be manageable and achievable. Second, I would say get treatment. So kind of how we started, right? It Our health involves not only our physical health, but also our mental health. If you were injured or sick, most of us would seek out a medical professional a medical profession to help us, professional to help us, right? And so the same is true for our mental health. We need to seek out support. And treatment can can provide relief by identifying what's wrong and helping reduce the symptoms that are interfering with our relationships and our life in general. And then third, I would say become connected. Okay, we might be reluctant to tell anyone about what's going on, and yet we all need human connection with one another in order to promote good mental health. It's like my mug suggested, right? Find people who are good for your mental health. In other words, people who are going to provide support and understanding and these safe connections. That could be a family member, a friend, a community group, a support group. It could be a combination of all of those. And then there might be someone listening today that is actually experiencing emotional distress or are having thoughts of suicide. I am asking you to call 988. This is a suicide crisis lifeline. It's free and confidential. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are important. You are an important person and you are seen and we want you to get some help. And I would just end by saying a little progress each day adds up to big results. It only takes a small pebble to create a larger ripple. Well, Melissa, your words are the perfect ending for this conversation, and yet this conversation is just the beginning, as I said earlier, of a three-part series. And so I hope all of you listening will really take to heart these wonderful words of wisdom that Melissa Williams has provided to us today. And I thank you, Melissa, and your colleagues at St. David Center for Child and Family Development, who have been such a loyal and long-standing partner of Mom Enough. I just love the work we're able to do together. And um, please come back uh, in a couple of weeks when we'll have the next installment of this three-part series uh, and dig even more deeply. But um, Melissa, you've just done a terrific job here, and I'm very moved, uh, very touched by the stories you've told and by your supportive way of addressing both parents and children who are struggling for one reason or another. Thanks again. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Marty Erickson here with my daughter, Erin, and we appreciate that you are tuning in to Mom Enough. Content copyrighted by Marty and Erin Erickson. All rights reserved. Visit momenough.com for an archive of all Mom Enough shows and many free downloadable resources on child development, parenting, and maternal health and well-being. Do you think I'll have a show called Kid Enough someday? 